0: Jeremiah chapter 1. We'll begin in verse number 10. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. And then we'll make our way to the Gospels after that. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. And I'd like to preach to you tonight for a few minutes a sermon by the name Blessed to be Broken. Blessed to be broken. Jeremiah one and verse ten, God has called Jeremiah into the ministry, and He tells this man, He says, "See, I have this day set thee over the nations, and over the kingdoms, to root out, and to pull down, and to destroy, and to throw down, to to build, and to plant." So, before we proceed and talk about that verse and several others, let's bow our heads and ask God to help us tonight, Father. We come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the good singing already. God, how great thou art. Ah, Lord, I love to hear that song. I love to meditate upon it. Father, please let us get a taste of heaven tonight. Please come down and move amongst us, Lord, and I pray that, God, tonight you would be gentle, but that you would break us. Please, Lord, show me how to preach this, God. I don't want to preach this tonight in the presence of just people, but... Father, as heaven bears witness, as you look upon what we're doing tonight, might have put a smile on your face. Please, Father, please help us. Anoint my lips. Lead me by your Spirit. And give us all ears to hear, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 In verse number 10, you can see that God has a plan for Jeremiah's ministry, and the plan is two-thirds negative. It starts off Four different things, he says, root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. And then he says, we'll build and we will plant. And God knew that this nation was a complete mess, a spiritual wreck. And in order for this thing to come right, before God was going to build or plant anything that would be of any value to him or anything, he was going to have to do some breaking down. And I believe the same is true for any person in the body of Christ. I'm preaching tonight to people that have been saved. Do you understand this? I'm preaching to you folks because I believe on a Sunday night we generally have more saved folks come out. So I'm talking to you tonight before God can ever bless you, he's gonna have to break you. Before God, and, and let me narrow that down a little bit more. Before God can bless you to the point of using you, he's gonna have to break you. If you desire tonight for the hand of God to be on you in that very real way that you read about in the Bible, for that way that you read about in the last 2,000 years of church history where God would just be so strongly manifested in a man or a lady's life that the rest of the town, the rest of that community, would, would, they would recognize it. It would catch their attention. If that's what you seek, then I tell you, you would be blessed to be broken In such a way. When I say broken, here's what I mean your heart aches, your heart yearns, you become so desperate that it gets difficult to breathe because you just desire the presence of God more than anything. When I talk about God breaking you, what I mean is breaking off all the worldly attachments and distractions until God becomes your all in all. Until you become so consumed with loving the Lord Jesus Christ that everything else falls gently away. And the only thing that thrills your soul becomes Him. That's it. That is what it would mean to be broken broken Jesus said it like this blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness and he says the promise is you shall be filled but he says you have to hunger and thirst after it and and I I think that the problem is we we build ourselves up we build our lives the way we desire them so that there's so many other things that satisfy us As temporary as it may be and God is not our all in all. But I believe that it's very important if you're going to go on for God and do anything for Him that's going to make a difference in this world and in the the next life as well in eternity you're going to have to be broken. I remember years ago in Bible school and I've told you this before I would pray every Wednesday night at prayer meeting I had one thing that I prayed every week. It comes out of 2 Timothy 2. I use that verse where Paul wrote to Timothy and he talked about being a vessel, meet for the master's use. And my prayer diligently every Wednesday night, oh God, please make me a vessel, meet for the master's use. Oh, I wanted to be used of God more than anything, more than, more than any desire, more than any lust, more than any, anything I've ever pursued in my life. I just wanted God to be real. I wanted to be used. I wanted his hand on me. I, I would get together with guys from Bible school. We'd pray till 2, 3 in the morning. We'd lay there on our, on our faces, I mean lay flat on our faces for three, four hours at a time and just beg God, oh please God come down, please God show up, please God change me, make me different, conform me, break me God, do whatever you have to do. Root it out, pull it down, destroy it, throw it down God so that you can build something so that you can plant something in me that'll, that'll actually bring, bring forth fruit. God help me, I want to still be that hungry. I want to be that desperate. We've all seen desperate people, amen. When you get desperate, brother, sister, you'll beg. When you're desperate, you'll beg. Whether you're desperate for food, shelter, clothing, money, help, companionship, comfort, friendship, you get desperate enough and you'll beg. You ever been that broken? You ever been so broken that you just crawled on your hands and knees to the throne of God and said, oh God, break me. God, do whatever you have to do, but... I can't live another moment without the reality of God there in my life. I can feel your presence. People come and say, Brother Mike, I want to I know how do I hear the voice of God? Brother, sister, you want to hear from him enough, you'll lay there on your face until you hear his voice. Oh, you can hear it. The Bible says today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. The problem is not his voice. He talks plenty and he talks plain and he talks clear. The problem is not his mouth. The problem is our hearts. Just hard. He said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. You would be blessed to be broken. I prayed for three years every day, every week in Bible school, and I prayed it almost every day for that matter, but I know every Wednesday night, make me a vessel, meet for the master's use. One week after I graduated from Bible school, I got on an airplane for the first time in my life. And I flew from Florida to Atlanta, Georgia, from Atlanta to London, London to Harare, Harare to uh, Lusaka, Lusaka to La I had over 30 hours logged in the plane, not counting the layovers. On my, way, my first leg of the flight, first leg of that trip, first flight, I blew out my right eardrum, 50% of it gone. Right after we landed, now, I was very dizzy, of course, from the eardrum being messed up, but after I landed, I didn't realize it, but the medicine I was taking to prevent malaria, I started to have a severe reaction to it. I didn't realize it was a reaction to that because so many other things were going wrong. There are 14 side effects to that medicine. I had 12 of them. Number 14 is death. Part of... Part of those side effects is a lack of sleep. So I'm sleeping one or two hours a night at best. There's hallucinations. That you, you just, it, it messes with your head a little bit. On one leg of that trip, after I got to Malawi, I had two suitcases with me. One filled with Bibles and tracks and a few mosquito coils that you could burn at night and some clothes and toothpaste, those kind of things. I didn't realize it, but as we were moving about Malawi and in Mozambique, visiting church to church to church, somebody had taken one of my suitcases laid it in the back of the lorry and had laid down on it as a mattress well we went 10 hours that day in the lorry he completely destroyed my luggage and wouldn't you know it it was the one with the toothpaste in it everywhere all over my clothes a bunch of tracks got ruined bibles got messed up so now I'm down one suitcase we're still going on We got into a small baki in in Mozambique. I wasn't even supposed to be in Mozambique, but the pastors in Malawi that I had met with, they arranged for me to go across the border and preach there. This guy, now you guys know in Mozambique they had a civil war, so they blew up massive holes in the road so that you couldn't drive quickly. Well, we had a Malawian driver in that little baki. There were four of us in the cab of this small baki. Me and three, me, the driver, and two other guys, we're squished up against each other, and there are 15 men in the back. And this guy's doing 120 down these roads. He hit a pothole. I mean, he hit that thing so hard, I flew up and hit the hit the ceiling, hit the roof uh, of the car, of the Baki. And when I came back down, the car starts fishtailing a bit. He blew out a tire. Not surprising, we get out. He, he puts the new inner tube in a, in a new tire and has to pump it, air it up, and then we... Put it on the vehicle, and off we go again. But that, that driver, his name was Soldier. He didn't learn a thing. 120 again. The next pothole he hit was almost as big as the Baki. And when he hit it, the entire Baki went into the hole, and it busted the drive shaft. The bolt that holds the drive shaft, it completely snapped it in half. So now the drive shaft is dragging on the ground. So we get out, and he takes a look at it and says, Eish. This is a big one. <laughs> so here's what he does to fix it. He gets a coat hanger, a wire coat hanger. A wire coat hanger. And he, he puts the drive shaft back in, and in the place where the bolt should be, he wraps the wire coat hanger in there and ties it off. Well, of course, that's not going to hold. While he's doing that, somebody told him, there, you guys are going the wrong way. Somebody was just passing by and said, you... Where are you going? He said, Murambala. They said, no, 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 this is the long way to Murambala. Take this shortcut back through the, through the bush. So this guy turns down this shortcut. Well, as he's going, of course, the wire coat hanger falls out and the drive shaft's back on the ground. So now he takes a piece of rope, a twine, ties it up and says, no, no, we're good. He's doing 2K an hour. <laughs> we went about five meters, boom. <laughs> and the drive shaft hits the ground again. We get out, and by this point, we're, we're pretty much stranded. I'm looking on each side of us. The grass is about three meters tall. I have no clue where we're at, and bear in mind, my head is spinning. I haven't slept much. One of my pieces of luggage is destroyed, and now I'm in the middle of literally nowhere. Right about this time, we waited about, I guess, two hours. A baki finally drove by. And the guy said, are you guys okay? And we said, well, no, there's you know, almost 20 of us here on the side in, in the bush. We have no way to get to town. We don't even know where town is. So he he picked me up. He took me, an interpreter, and one of the pastor's wives and drove us two hours all the way to Murambala, dropped us off. The next day, the, the pastors had to stay at the wreck and slept there that night. The next day, they showed up in a borrowed vehicle with the Few pieces of luggage we had and they said okay everything's fine now we'll bring the rest they didn't have my luggage they said we'll bring that tomorrow everything's still back at the wreckage it was time to go preach at a church so we we went out to a church to preach we had to drive through a cornfield to get there we preached for a couple hours and on the way back the sun was setting we had found another baki by this point going through the cornfield he hit a stump when he hit the stump the axle on the front wheels just up like that. So now the wheels are sticking <laughs> the wrong direction. But this night, there weren't 15 in the back. I counted. There were 32 of us all together in that little baki. 32 of us. We got out, and in order to in order to fix this, we had to pick the baki up. And all, third, all 32 of us picked it up and walked it out of the cornfield. <laughs> we had to go about 50 meters out of the cornfield, dropped it off... Put it down in the ground. They rolled a stone. A bunch of men lifted it up. They put a stone underneath it as a jack. And the guy has a screwdriver and a hammer, and he says, "Ah, don't worry. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried." As they're trying to fix that, I see a group of men—about six or seven men—huddled around a lady. And the sun's going down, and I'm saying, God, why is all this happening? I came here, thought you want to be, to be a missionary here. Everything's going wrong, drastically wrong. What's going on with this now? And, and I asked my interpreter, I said, what are they praying about over there? He said, yeah, pasta. She, she is in Leba. I thought, oh, dear God, I don't want to deliver a baby in the middle of a cornfield in Murambala. <laughs> That's not what I signed up for. So now I, I, I'm, I'm right there with him. Oh, God, please let this baby just wait a little longer. Can you believe it? A screwdriver and a hammer fixed that thing to where it would actually work. One tire was straight, the other one was bent, and we just rolled like that all the way to town. We got home at about 12, got to the guest house at about 1230 uh, in the a.m. They took her straight to the hospital. She had, she had the baby about an hour later. The next morning we woke up, it was time to go preach again. I said, guys, we're getting out of here. I'm not supposed to be in Mozambique. God obviously doesn't want us here. Time to go. There's more stuff to this story. I'm giving you the short version. We drive up to the border. We got there late. Border closes at 6. We got there at 7. Pastors say, don't worry. Now, I'm traveling with four different pastors. They say, "Ah, don't worry. We'll talk to them. They go to the to the border patrol there, and they say, listen, here's the situation. The border patrol comes out with their machine guns and says, You're not crossing. By this time they're all drunk. Bad drunk. Well, I thought, let me, let me try to be diplomatic. So I stepped into the situation and said, Sir, please, I'm not used to this, this, this situation. Please, is there any way you can let us through? Please, sir, please. And I'm begging him. I, I got so pathetic, I said, Sir, I'm gonna die of malaria if you don't let us through. <laughs> He put his machine gun in my face and he said, you're sleeping outside. And I said, yes, sir. (laughs) That's what you do with a machine gun in your face. So we slept outside that night, huddled around the Baki. They let me, they were so kind to let me sleep in the Baki, but the mosquitoes were so bad. They were just flying all over my, my face and my arms. So the driver gave me his jacket to cover my face and arms. I slept underneath the jacket. But that, the driver had been sitting on that jacket for the last three days. Wasn't the best night I've ever had, right? The next morning we get up and we're gonna cross the border, 6 a.m., right on the dot. They stole one of the pastor's passports. We crossed over all the way into Malawi and then realized the Mozambican guy had kept one of, his pa- the, one of uh, the pastor's passports. We had to drive all the way back to that wonderful place. With, dealt with him for about an hour and then... Took the pastor off to Malawi. I thought, okay, fine. Now we're finally back where God wants us to be. We get into Malawi. We cross the border. And this driver, the one that was doing 120, he had fixed his baki, put the drive shaft back in. So he picked us up and has taken us, taken us back into Malawi. We have about seven, eight guys in the back of the baki this time. Well, he was driving so fast, he took a sharp left turn up a bit of a hill. It threw one of the pastors out of the baki. <laughs> So then they start yelling, hey, you killed him, hey, you killed him. I said, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I paid for this trip, so it's my fault. <laughs> so we get out of the baki, we go back, and there's the pastor. I mean, he's laying there lifeless on the ground. I thought, my soul, I don't know what to do. I'm not a doctor. I'm not trained for any of this stuff. So I did what I thought any responsible person should do. I went over to him, and I saw him just laying there, and, and I kicked him. <laughs> And wanted, not hard I just wanted to see if he was still alive right? <laughs> boom oh, I said okay good he's, he's alive <laughs> so they picked him up and, and I was so kind I gave him my seat in the cab of the Baki and I sat in the back of the Baki by faith and we drove up into town when we got to town I, I took out some money I said please driver take him to the hospital let him get some help well lo and behold it was a holiday all the hospitals and clinics in that town were closed on that day he couldn't get any help Three hours later, they come back to the guest house. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. That pastor's limping. His face is all scratched up. I said, Pastor chin are you okay? He said, ah, I'll be okay. I'm praying by that point. I said, I told those pastors. I sat them all down. I said, guys, I've never been through anything like this. This is just, this, this is going drastically wrong. I, I, think, I think we need to just call the trip off. They said, no, 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 it's fine. We'll keep going. Well, I know why they wanted to keep going now the next place we stopped I had to pay for the guest house and pay the driver my interpreter by this time I'd led him to Christ he pulled me aside he tried to commit adultery with somebody on the trip I stopped him so he pulled me aside he said, he said pastor I can tell that you really love me because you didn't let me go on sinning he said so I'm going to do something for you that might get me in trouble all of these pastors that you've been traveling with, they've been cheating you the entire time. This whole thing was set up to steal your money. He said the real price of the guest house is not this amount, it's actually this amount. They had been charging me almost 10 times the proper price. These pastors had went around and set it up with every guest house and with every driver that we that we used to tell me the wrong price so I would pay a massive amount and then they would split it with the owner of that vehicle or that property so now my interpreter says this is what's going on he says but don't say anything because I could get in trouble I said all right mum's the word won't say anything about five minutes later those pastors knock at the door and they all of them pile into my my room there and they say, Yeah, we, we we want to talk with you we have some things you need to buy for us and they laid out the list we want a bucky. We need, we need a church building and big stuff. I'm 20, 24. I ain't got no money. I don't know what I'm doing. And here they're listing out all these things that they expect me to do for them now. Guys, I tell you what, I, I got back to the long way. I didn't have enough money to do anything. I, I, could, I didn't eat the last day and a half I was in the country. I didn't have enough money. I got back to the airport. And that pastor who organized everything, he comes and gives me a big hug and he says, thank you so much for coming and he hands me a slip of paper with his bank account number on it. He says, something to remember us by. <laughs> I thought, how appropriate. I got through customs and immigration and all that. I sat down in the, in the waiting area. I had just enough quachas to buy one cup of tea and that was it for the trip. They had taken almost $3,000. All the money that we had in America to pay our rent, Christina had to send it over. I was there for three weeks. After two weeks, I'd run out of money. She sent every dime we had so that I could finish the trip. I got back to the States, and when I got back, I couldn't walk for 11 days. I was so sick. So sick. And I was angry. And I said, God, that wasn't right. What you did, what, it wasn't right, God. You told me to go there and look at what you let, look at, look at what you let happen. That wasn't fair, God. That wasn't right. I'm trying to serve you. And look, look at what, how that turned out. And I was bitter at God for several, several weeks. I had to have surgery to repair my eardrum. And as I'm laying there recovering and praying and I'm angry and I keep telling God, why'd you do that? Asking him, why'd you do it? And after several weeks, you know what he said? He said, now... Now you know how they feel almost every day of their life. And maybe now you're ready to minister to them. It dawned on me what happened. I had been praying for three years that God would break me. And he answered the prayer. He broke me. He took away every other comfort he took away any reason that I would have to go to Malawi. The only reason that I would go there as a missionary was because he wanted me to. There was nothing else appealing about going there except that's what God wanted me to do. He broke me. And he made it so that the only thing that mattered was doing the will of God. That's all. He took everything else away. And I would never felt so blessed That he took the time to send me halfway around the world just to break me. And if you want to be used of God, I dare say that he's going to have to do the same thing to you at some point and in some way. I don't know what the breaking will entail, I don't know what it would require to get your attention so that you hunger and thirst after God in such a way that nothing else matters. It might just be a sermon. It could be something simple like that. It just gets your attention and you say, that's it, I'm never going to be the same. But some of us are so stuck in our ways, it's going to take a lot more than that. Can I show you a few verses? I'm not going to take long. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, I think you guys know this story. In verse number 19, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. And there's five loaves and two fishes. That's not a whole lot when you're trying to feed 5,000 families. I mean, there's 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So 5,000 families, five loaves and two fishes isn't much. And uh, this is something I've heard from so many people. They don't want to get involved in the ministry or in serving God in any capacity because they don't feel as if they have enough to offer. Friend, if that's you tonight, you need to be broken. Look at what happens in verse 19. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude and they did all eat and were filled. What was the promise? If you hunger and thirst, you'll be filled, right? He says in verse number 19 that first off Jesus blessed it and then he broke it. Do you see that? Blessed to be broken. What's the evidence that Jesus blessed that bread? The next thing he did was break it. Because if he doesn't break it, down it can't be given to all 12 disciples so that they can give it to the multitude it first had to be broken down so that it would be usable and before God's going to use you he's going to have to break you that's not evidence you're doing something wrong that's evidence that God is blessing it's the exact opposite of a prosperity gospel Now, let me ask you, what's your end goal? Is your end goal to be blessed or is your end goal to be a blessing to others? Because if all you want is to be blessed, the story stops halfway through verse 19. You take the bread, you bless it, you're done. You bless it, finished. But if you desire to be a blessing to the multitude, you bless it, then you break it, and then you distribute it. There's the breaking of the bread. I believe there's a great lesson to be learned from that. The immediate evidence of God's blessing in your life is that he breaks you so that he can make you into something. You know, David was anointed in 1 Samuel 16. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You know what happened after that? For the next 14 chapters, Saul chased him. He was anointed. Then he was afflicted. And then finally after Saul died... He ascended to the throne. The anointing brought forth an affliction, blessed to be broken, to be used. Friend, if the master ever gets his hands on you, before he can use you, he's gonna have to break you. When you surrender, say, Lord, here it is. Here's my five loaves. Here's my two fish. This is all I got. It's not much, but it's yours. He blesses, then he breaks it. By the way, lest you think that that's some sort of a curse or a punishment, not at all. The Bible says the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. You'll never experience the nearness of God as much as you do when He's breaking you down. Can I show you Matthew cha- or Mark? I'm sorry, Mark, chapter fourteen. We were in Matthew fourteen. Come to Mark fourteen. Mark chapter 14 and verse number 3 Jesus is very close to going to the cross at this point and Mark 14 and 3 it says being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper as he sat at meat there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard very precious and she broke the box and poured it on his head This alabaster box, it was a very common box in these days. So much so that alabaster is a type of stone, but it was so common that they would call the box itself an alabaster. So it was not just an adjective, but the actual noun. It was just an alabaster. That was the box. The box itself was common and not that precious, but the ointment inside the box, that was precious. What they would do is take that ointment, put it in the box, And then they would take some wax or something else that would seal it, seal it shut. And only on the most special of occasions would they break that seal. And that was the breaking of the box is when you broke that seal and then the ointment, the odor would come forth from that. The Bible tells us in the same story, but in the Gospel of John, it says that when she broke the box, that the odor filled the house. Everyone could tell that she was using this very precious ointment For this very special occasion, that is to anoint the body of Jesus before his burial. One of the greatest acts of faith you'll find in the Gospels. She's anointing the body before he's dead. (laughs) Under most circumstances, that would be rude. But none of the other apostles believed when Jesus said, I'm going to go die. They didn't believe it, but this lady did. She broke the box. And then everybody in the room knew that she was using something precious. You see, folks, the treasure that you have is on the inside. The Lord Jesus Christ lives within you, yes? The Bible says in Second Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. The outside, the flesh is going to have to be broken. It's going to have to die. It's going to have to be crucified. It's going to have to be put aside so that the real treasure that's hidden on the inside can come forth, and then everybody around you will notice something different about you. I've heard from so many people that they're trying to reach their coworkers or their friends or their family. How can we do that, friend? You're going to reach them by first you being broken, breaking the box. And letting that very precious ointment of the Lord Jesus Christ fill the room. In First Corinthians eight, verse number three, the Bible says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Does anybody know that you love God? Does the odor of that ointment, your worship, your love, your adoration of God, does it fill the room? If any man love God, the same shall be known of him. Can I show you Acts chapter 27? Acts chapter 27. There's the breaking of the bread. There's the breaking of the box. And now we're going to look at the breaking of the boat Acts 27 and verse number 2, we're reading now where Paul is under arrest. He's being shipped off to Rome to stand trial. In verse 2, you can see, and entering into a ship of Adramidium, we launched. He set sail in this ship, and as you can read on through the passage for the sake of time, we won't, won't read all of it, but they hit some pretty tough times. Eroclodon happens, a hurricane kicks up, typhoon if you will. Things go drastically wrong on this, on this journey. And they think, that's it, we're all going to die. Verse 22, Paul, after s- several days of saying nothing, he stands up and he says, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. We're afraid to be broken. We're, we're afraid to put, ourself, to put our entire life in the hands of God and say, do whatever you want with it. Make any changes you want. God, break me in any way you want because we're afraid we're going to lose everything. We want to be used of God but not that much. Paul says, listen guys, be of good cheer. We're going to lose the ship. The boat has to break. But you're not going to lose your life. Folks, if you'll completely surrender lay your life down at the foot of the cross and say God do with me whatever you want make all the changes you want you'll not be losing life you'll actually be gaining it you'll lose the ship but you'll gain a deeper relationship with God he says in verse 23 for there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve." Obviously a reference to Jesus who appeared to him in this angelic form. In verse 24 saying, fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. In the midst of this boat being broken, Paul says, be of good cheer. Cheer up, guys. God's just going to ruin everything. God's going to break your life so bad you won't even be able to recognize it. You won't be able to piece it back together. He's going to break it down so that you can't recover what you did have. Now be of good cheer because God's going to do just what He said. After hearing that, some of the men weren't that excited. You can come on down to verse number 30. It says, and as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the fore ship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. You see, some of the the mariners, some of the shipmen on that, the sailors, they said, we we don't, if you say that the boat is going to be broken, why would we want to stay in this boat? Now, doesn't that make sense? If the boat's going to be destroyed, why stay in that boat? Go get in another boat. That's how the natural man thinks. If serving God requires me being broken down and becoming desperate, hungering and thirsting after righteousness might require losing some other parts in life. If that's what it requires, then forget this. I'm going I'm to take a little boat of convenience and get out of this problem. So they put up a flag as if they were casting out anchors. Which, if you're casting anchors, it would indicate we're staying here. So they put up a flag that says we're staying here. It's the same as somebody raising a hand and saying, I, I'm committing to Christ. I want to serve Him. But that's not really what you mean. It just looks good. What's really going to happen is you're going to go home and come up with some excuses to get out of that. And Paul said, listen, the prophecy was that everybody's going to be saved. If a few of these guys try to run out and save their own life and make something, make something of, of their life by themselves, they're going to be destroyed. And the prophecy's going to fail. We can't do that. The prophecy was, ye all shall be saved. So verse number 32, then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. You know what they got rid of? Plan B. I wonder as they cut the rope if they weren't singing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back. And they said, there is no plan B. I don't, I don't care how this, turn, how this story ends up. If the, if the ship is broken so badly we can never use it again, then so be it, but we're going to do it the way God told us to do it. They cut off the ropes. Look how the story ends in verse 44. In verse number 44, it says, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. The boat hit ground and got stuck in the shore. The waves crashed into the boat so strongly that it broke it it in half and then just decimated that boat to where the, the prisoners were grabbing on to individual little pieces and floating to shore on it. 276 men, not one of them died. Watch this. God said, the boat has to break. Don't try to get out of it. You try to get out of it and you're going to make it worse. Stay there. Hang on tight. Because when it all breaks, listen, it's going to get a little rough. It's going to be choppy. It's going to look pretty bleak. But by the end of the story, you're all escaped safe to land. Life is going to go on and you're going to be better for the experience it might just turn out that you learn how to hear the voice of God in the midst of a brutal storm because that's exactly what happened for Paul at this extremely low point he got to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ and rest on the promises of God that is something that you can't learn from reading a book about it. You can't learn from other people telling you stories about it. Some of these things that you, that you need in your Christian life, you can only learn by experience. And the boat needs to be broken. Paul wrote it like this. He said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said, that's what I'm willing to do so that I can know him. Blessed to be broken. Lord, whatever you have to do. Root out my bad habits. Pull down my misconceptions of who you are. Destroy my dependence on convenience. Throw down my pride. Build me up in the faith and image of Christ. Plant me with deep roots in the word of God. That's what God said he sent the preacher to do in Jeremiah, right? That's that's where we started. Root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, build, plant. Before you can get to the fruitful part to the building part, to the profitableness of the Christian life, there has to be a breaking down first. You cannot have a resurrection without a death and a burial. I haven't sung this in a while, but a lot of you folks have heard me singing in in church before. I don't know if my voice will hold up, but I'm going to give it a go. There's a voice calling me From an old rugged tree And he whispers, draw closer to me Leave this world far behind There are new heights to climb And a new place in me you will find And whatever it takes To draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'm willing to do. Whatever it takes for my heart to break, that's what I'm willing to do. Now listen to this next part. Take my houses and land. Take my dreams and my plans I place my whole life in your hands And if you call me someday To a land far away Lord, I'll go And your will I'll obey For whatever it takes To draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'm willing to do. Whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'm willing to do. I'll be honest, I don't like this last verse very much. Whenever I want God to break me, I think about this one. Take the dearest things to me If that's how it must be To draw me closer to thee Let the disappointments come Lonely days without the sun If through sorrow More like you I'll become And whatever it takes To draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'm willing to do. Whatever it takes for my heart to break, that's what I'm willing to do. Can you pray that tonight? Whatever it takes. Lord, whatever it takes. God, I place the whole thing in your hands. Break me down so you can build me up. That's one of the scariest things to pray. But I believe before God will use you, He's going to have to break you. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. As you can see, some are coming. Would you like to come? Oh, God, I remember all those days. I remember those days, Lord. I remember those days up at that altar begging you, begging you, begging you to use me, Lord. I remember those days. oh God please please God Lord if you have to break us as a church so that you can use us Lord whatever it takes break the bread break the box break the boat Lord I can see how it works We have to go through these things. Lord, we don't want to run up the flag of pretense tonight and tell you that we're willing when we're not. Father, I'm not seeking a way around it. If I have to go through Samaria, then Lord, I will. I don't want disappointments. Lord, I I don't want you to take the dearest things to me. Oh, God, I don't want that. But Lord, I'd rather have your presence, I'd rather have your fellowship. I'd rather have the peace of God ruling in my heart. Please, God, be gentle. Please, God, be merciful. You know, Father, we're weak. We give up so easy. We faint in the day of adversity because our strength is small. You know us, God. You know what we need. Break us, God. Break us so you can use us. How desperate are you how badly do you want to know him how deep do you want to go in that walk with him I remember some nights the church would let out everybody go home I'd just stay outside and pray a while because God showed up during the service and I wanted to be near him and that's where I last found him so I didn't want to go I'd show up to church an hour early go up in the upper room and just pray and say oh God please show up again please speak to my heart Woke up at 3 a.m. this morning. Couldn't go back to sleep because all I could think about is I really hope God shows up today. Oh, God, make me hungry again. God, make me hungry again. Oh, God, help us. Father, I've never been so blessed as the times when you've broke me. Lord, would you let that get real for some of these people here tonight? Please, Father, please. Father, I've tried to just talk to them from my heart tonight. I've I've tried to say exactly what you wanted me to say, but Father, I can't make them react. You know that. God, I can't make them react. I can't. I can't pick them up and bring them to the altar, God. I can't be hungry for them. God, please, would you put your hand upon them? Would you, would you break all the distractions of their life away? Please, Father, become their all in all. Oh, there's never a, such a joyful moment as when God becomes the only thing that matters. Oh, <laughs> Oh God, that's a good, that's a good day. (laughs) It's the strangest thing that it feels good to be broken. (laughs) But Father, it does. take my houses and lands take my dreams and my plans I place my whole life in your hands would you pray that tonight if Job chapter 1 happened tonight and he took it all away would you still love him That might be just the thing you need for God to get real. I'm not going to rush these at the altar. We're going to let the Spirit of God just do what He feels like doing tonight. Can you hear that voice calling you tonight? This song says, There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree, and he whispers, Draw closer to me. Can you hear that voice? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. We'll sup with him and he with me. There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree, and he whispers, draw closer to me. Leave this world far behind, there are new heights to climb, and a new place in me you will find. Father I want to thank you for speaking to our hearts tonight Lord you you told us there in the scripture today if you hear his voice harden not your hearts God would you send us home tonight with soft hearts hearts that have received the word of God and can bring forth fruit Lord and if the ground is still hard I believe you'd have to break up the ground before the seeds would make any difference so Lord help us to break up the fallow ground Father you know what we need whatever it takes God draw us closer thank you for taking time with us today thank you for speaking to us throughout this day now Lord help us to do something with it tomorrow Lord help us we hunger and thirst after righteousness to patiently wait until you fill us with that peace and joy that comes from being in your presence thank you God thank you so much for helping us thank you for sending your son to die for us Father might that become more and more real every moment of every day and we thank you for all this and ask you for this in Jesus name Amen. Amen, Amen, Amen